Welcome to Angus Beef Bulletin Audio, a hands-free extension of our print and electronic publications. I'm Shauna Hermel, editor of the Angus Beef Bulletin, and I want to thank you for joining us today. We're bringing you three new marketing articles that will appear in our September 7th edition of the Angus Beef Bulletin Extra. You can find these articles at www.angusbeefbulletin.com forward slash extra. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at abbeditorial at angus.org. We'd love to hear from you. Here's our first article. Manage shrink when marketing wean calves. There's value to both the buyer and seller for calves to have a fair way up at marketing. This article is by Paul Beck of Oklahoma State University Extension. When selling calves, shrink is a concern because it reduces sale weight, but abnormal levels of shrink are a health indicator for cattle arriving in receiving facilities at stocker operations, grow yards, and feedlots. Price adjustments are common to compensate for varying shrinkage and gut fill. Shrink is often characterized in two categories, fill shrink and tissue shrink. Fill shrink is the loss of excreta from the digestive system. This type of shrink is common in marketing and can be recovered quickly in a few days once cattle are back on feed and water. Tissue shrink is more severe. Shrinkage levels greater than 6% are associated with long periods without feed and water along with other stressors such as long distance transport, weaning, rough handling, or heat stress. Tissue shrink may take up to 30 days to recover from. Selling calves directly after weaning leads to some of the highest levels of shrink. Weaning is stressful and calves are often unfamiliar with water and feed locations so they may refuse to eat or drink even when feed and water are offered to them. Preconditioning programs have been designed to reduce weaning stress on calves later in production. These programs enhance the immune system, plus they teach calves to eat from a feed bunk and drink from a water tank or fountain at the ranch of origin. Preconditioning calves before marketing reduces shrink because the stress of separation from the dam has already occurred and calves are familiarized with handling and feed and water sources. Unweaned calves transported directly to the auction market can shrink 7 to 10 percent, while preconditioned calves can shrink 2 to 5 percent. Research indicates dietary interventions can be used to reduce shrink. Steers coming off wheat pasture were transported for four hours, either directly off pasture or after they were given access to hay and water for 24 hours. Initial shrink after only 30 minute hauls were similar and only around half a percent of initial weight. Weight loss of steers moved directly from pasture was much greater than steers fed hay before transport when hauls were one to two hours. After four hours of transit, steers hauled directly off wheat lost 37 pounds or 5.1%. Steers given access to hay before transport before transport lost 28 pounds, which equates to a 3.85% shrink during that same haul. This shows that shrink losses were about 1.28% per hour of transport. 
but providing access to dry hay before transport decreased shrinkage rates to 0.96% per hour. The reduced shrink was likely due to slower passage of feed through the digestive tract and less water loss. Market surveys have shown calves that are gaunt or shrunk prior to marketing sell at a premium of $2 to $4 per hundredweight compared to cattle with average fill. These premiums are unlikely to cover the lost revenue from the excessive weight loss due to shrink. Calves that were classified as full or tanked were discounted $4.73 and $11.10 per hundredweight respectively. In a survey of Arkansas feeder cattle markets, these large discounts are reflective of the buyer belief that excessive shrink will occur before cattle reach their final destination. There is value to both the buyer and seller for calves to have a fair way up at marketing. As an editor's note, Paul Beck is a beef nutrition specialist for Oklahoma State University Extension. He discusses shrink of cattle coming off wheat in the spring and how to manage this issue on SunUp TV from May 2nd, 2022. We have a link in our article. In our second article, Troy Marshall discusses the key to profitability of any cow-calf operation in his market closeout column. Terminal traits have been the dominant selection criteria for the beef industry as a whole for quite some time. There are a couple of reasons for this focus. The first is that maternal traits, by necessity, had always been part of our selection parameters, so there was a lot of opportunity to improve carcass traits when we got the ability to select for them. Second, growth in pounds is the easiest thing to measure. Because we all get paid by the pound, it is easy to measure the economics of more pounds. Plus, our primary buyers, feedlot and stocker operators, write the biggest checks for our cattle each year. They obviously have no interest whatsoever in maternal traits because they create profits or generate losses based on terminal traits. Even the Angus Genetic Merit Scorecard focuses exclusively on terminal traits because it was designed to describe the genetics of cattle going into the feeding and packing segments. Not surprisingly, the focus of the purebred industry has been on the terminally oriented indexes, like feedlot value, $F, grid value, $G, beef value, $B, and the combined value, $C. Terminal traits are both easy to describe and to see. It is easy for producers to see the direct economic effect they have on profitability. This increased selection pressure on terminal traits has enabled the Angus breed to become the ultimate terminal breed, with nobody able to match our combination of growth and quality. The economic incentives for growth are relentless, with throughput and capacity utilization being two of the biggest economic drivers of the feeding and packing segments. Quality, though, has become the real differentiator in the marketplace. The success of certified Angus beef has led to substantial premiums based on quality grade. The shift to higher quality, higher marbling cattle has also helped the beef industry to stop our decline in market share. The higher overall quality becomes, the higher goes beef demand and overall beef prices. 
consumers are sending a very definitive market signal. They prefer high marbling beef products. Even though we have seen significantly increasing numbers of cattle qualifying for upper two-thirds choice and prime, we have seen premiums increase right along with supply. A happier consumer equates to more dollars coming into our industry and production efficiencies are driven in most cases by pounds, especially in the feeding and packing segments with such high feed costs. With that said, the Angus breed became the dominant breed based on the strength of the mama cow. From a cow-calf perspective, nothing is more important than reproductive efficiency. Most economic models may say reproductive rate or efficiency is twice as important as growth. The Angus cow is known for her maternal calving ease, fertility, sustained fertility, and longevity. Just go to nearly any other beef breed website and you will find that when it comes to making a mama cow, they are all competing to be the appropriate cross with Angus. There are a whole host of other traits that affect the maternal complex. Feet and legs, structural correctness, disposition, feed efficiency, and of course appropriate, appropriate levels of milk production and mature size for an environment. It is an overused analogy, but the cow herd is called the factory simply because the cow herd is the key to profitability for every cow-calf operation. Your cows are the biggest differentiator from a genetic standpoint and from an economic one as well. No segment of our business has higher fixed costs than cow-calf enterprise, and thus cow efficiency becomes the dominant or key performance indicator for the profitability of a cow-calf operation. You can ask 100 producers their definition of the ideal cow and you are likely to get 100 different answers. In part, that is because we expect that mama cow to work in a whole host of varied environments and we expect her to thrive and survive wherever she happens to live. The definition also changes based on what type of marketing program her offspring are headed for. Making the perfect cow means finding the optimum combination of probably eight to nine maternal traits. Its complexity, coupled with the variety of environments and production systems in which we ask her to operate, only makes it harder to define a clear target. With that said, creating a maternally oriented cow herd is not rocket science. It basically centers around finding the appropriate level of mature size and milk production to align maintenance requirements with available resources, then building cows with tremendous fertility and feed efficiencies to reduce cost. We need to keep the necessity traits like fleshing ability, udder quality, and disposition, and then add as much of the other economically relevant traits as possible. I don't think anybody knows how or if all the sustainability discussion will translate to economics. But the one thing we do know is reproductive efficiency and production efficiency will be two of the biggest drivers. Nothing has a bigger effect on those two traits than the cow herd. In many respects, the concept of selecting for maternal traits has not changed much in the last 50 years. The big difference is the level of genetics that are now considered to be optimum. Obviously, we have increased milk, 
mature size, and maintenance requirements substantially, but that also is correlated to corresponding production efficiencies. Measuring maternal traits has always been more difficult. For example, it's difficult to know how much one cow eats in comparison to another. Finding the appropriate level of milk production also involves a lot of trial and error. Once you find the optimum levels of various traits, the rate of genetic progress requires most producers to recalibrate, so it is a never-ending process. It's one that can best be characterized by the old maximum. The key, to, the key is to stay in the middle of the road and avoid the ditches. The biggest trend or change we are seeing in terms of selecting for maternal traits is specificity. We used to think we can do it all in one package. Technically, that is true, and we have continued to increase early growth while keeping downward pressure on mature size. Yet ultimately, the tools we have available to us for selecting genetics have improved so rapidly we are now able to select for maternal and terminal genetics with more specificity than we ever had before. This has enabled us to make amazing maternal and terminal genetics, but the two are also rapidly diverging. We are seeing an increased focus on selecting genetics to be used in a precision breeding scenario. We focus maternal genetics to make replacement females and terminal genetics used on those maternal genetics to produce terminal, terminally oriented offspring. The precision breeding concept is limited in the cattle industry compared to what we have seen in the pork, poultry, and dairy segments, but the trend is well established and growing. We are likely to see the movement to more precision breeding for both maternal and terminal cattle as competitive as our business is. It is also important to be a low-cost producer while producing a product that fits specific supply chains and consumer target markets. The title of this edition references leading ladies. Angelina Jolie and Jennifer Aniston are famous leading ladies but beauty is still in the eye of the beholder. That is likely to be the case when it comes to maternal genetics for the foreseeable future as well. As an editor's note, Tori Marshall is Director of Commercial Industrial Relations for the American Angus Association. And our third article comes to us from Elliot Dennis of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. His In the Cattle Markets article speaks to the tension surrounding the Chinese beef exports. Heightening tension between the United States and China about the Taiwan situation have caused concern among producers about the sensitivity of the U.S. beef industry to Chinese purchases. Several years ago, former President Trump signed a trade deal with China in which the Chinese committed to purchasing additional U.S. exports in two phases. This has significantly raised the total quantity and value of beef leaving the United States to mainland China and strengthened the U.S. wholesale beef price. Even with the emergence of the COVID-19 pandemic, the Chinese have continued to purchase U.S. beef. The U.S.-China trade agree agreement did five primary things for the U.S. beef industry. One. It allowed for the continued protocol for the importation of U.S. beef and beef products into China. 
Two, China eliminated the cattle age requirements for the importation of U.S. beef and beef products. Three, China recognized the U.S. beef and beef products traceability system, acknowledged that there was a negligible risk of bovine disease, and agreed to follow the OIE standards if the U.S. health status would change. Four, it allowed for importation of beef and beef products into China that was inspected by the USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service. And five, China adopted maximum residue limits for several hormones. Collectively, these five conditions allowed for more beef to enter mainland China. There was a minimal amount of beef that entered directly into mainland China before the two-phase trade deal, with no single month topping one million pounds exported. China is now the third largest importer of U.S. beef based on total quantity, importing an average of 35 million pounds of beef per month in 2021. Japan and South Korea continue to remain the United States' largest trade partners, with an average monthly export quantity of 58 and 51 million pounds, respectively. The total quantity shipped from the United States to China in 2022 is higher than in 2021 by about 10 million pounds per month. This brings their current market share to 17% of total U.S. beef exports. Based on data from 2021, we should see seasonal exports to China increase through August and then expect some decrease through the latter part of the year. Granted, this seasonality could differ given the industry has only one complete year of purchase information. Some industry participants have expressed concern that the Chinese entering the market now makes the U.S. beef complex more vulnerable to the perceived subjective policies in China. One can test for this using a measure of market concentration. Between 2010 and 2019, the average measure of concentration was 0.128, where 0 is highly competitive and 1 is highly concentrated. When the Chinese stepped in and started buying U.S. beef beginning in 2020, the measure of concentration changed from 0.152 to 0.146 in 2020 and 2021, respectively. Year-to-date, the measure of concentration in 2022 is 0.149. The U.S. beef export market has become more concentrated in recent years, but is far less concentrated than it was in the 1990s when the measure of concentration was approximately 0.312. In other words, the U.S. beef export market is not as vulnerable as some industry participants currently claim. The concerns with China highlight a larger story about how sensitive the U.S. beef export market is to both internal and external shocks. The largest of these shocks was bovine spongiform encephalopathy, or BSE, in December 2003. After BSE, many countries significantly reduced the total amount of trade with the United States. Total trade quantity dropped by approximately 75%. However, this created opportunities for the United States to develop other markets. While the average quantity per country reduced from 25 million pounds per year to 6 million pounds per year between 2003 and 2004, 
The total number of countries with a positive trade quantity increased from 112 to 118. That number continued to grow over the next 10 years while the primary U.S. beef export markets recovered. Similarly, the U.S. increased quantities into existing countries that have retained post-BSE trade levels even after the United States has regained access to other large export locations. Places like Ukraine, Moldova, Poland, and the Leeward Windward Islands became major export destinations. The U.S. beef export market has shown that it will continue to expand even if export access is lost to key countries. As an editor's note, Elliot Dennis is a University of Nebraska Lincoln Livestock Marketing and Risk Management Economist. This article is reprinted with permission from the Livestock Marketing Information Center. That finishes out our three articles on the marketing page. You can go to the management page, the front page, and the health and nutrition page to find other articles and the opportunity to listen to those as well. Thanks for joining us. Visit angusbeefbulletin.com forward slash extra for the remainder of the articles.